there has been a huge groundswell in society's expectation on businesses to make a conscious commitment to stakeholder investment on everything from consumers to the environment as well as their own employees. But will social pressure alone change the narrative? Welcome to the Agenda podcast Beyond the Bottom Line, brought to you by Oxera Consulting. Hi, my name is Russell Goldsmith and I'm back at Oxera's central London offices for this second episode in our podcast series where we will be taking a close look at the driving pressure to change the purpose of business. Today we are asking whether investors hold the key to fundamentally change business models. Joining me to explore what's on the minds of investors as they enter this redefining moment are Tim Jenkinson, Professor of Finance and Director of the Private Equity Institute at the Syed Business School at Oxford University and a partner at Oxera. Plus, it's a welcome back to Luis Correa de Silva, also a partner and a board member here at Oxera. Now, just to recap, in our previous episode, we set the scene for the series ahead on how we'll be exploring how people's expectations from business are rapidly evolving. And Luis, in that first show, you talked about how businesses have uh, been put under severe pressure over the last few years, not just to focus on profits, but also to consider the outcomes they deliver for society and what impact they have on communities. Your key takeaway was that owners of companies really believe this is a trend that's here to stay. Uh, Before we come to Tim for his initial thoughts, perhaps you can just quickly recap your views on whether it's society, investors or both that's driving change and uh, shaping the future of business. Thank you, Russ. And and indeed, uh, the first podcast, uh, I made the point that there's pressure these days on co- corporations to deliver more to society than just um, create profits for shareholders. So investment on employees, human capital, uh, what are companies doing for communities uh, and creating social capital in society? Uh, how is natural capital being kept? How is being maintained? How is physical capital being maintained? So all these pressures are now on, on corporations and very high on the agenda of investors and, and boards of directors of companies. So recent developments in, in corporate governance particularly corporate governance codes in the UK, France, and, and discussions elsewhere like Italy, for example, where th- there is a sort of a, a kind of a movement towards requiring uh, boards to uh, establish what is the purpose of, of the corporation, a purpose that would have wider objectives than just pure shareholder uh, value objectives. Um, so define the purpose uh, in terms of achievement of objectives on human capital, social capital, uh, natural capital, then embed that within the organization. So implement that at the level of business units and monitor those, those, uh, how those objectives are being achieved. And also then uh, potentially down the line how remuneration of managers and remuneration of employees is aligned with those uh, wider objectives. So the question that this raises is, is how do investors uh, see all this movement uh, towards that sort of broader um, uh, objectives than just shareholder value? And, and that's why we thought that you know, it would be a good discussion to have with Tim here, who's got a lot of background in working with investors. And, 
And it's not an easy uh, uh, question at all for, for investors. Well, uh, good time to uh, bring uh, Tim into the podcast. So firstly, thanks so much for uh, taking your time out of uh, your day to join us. You spend a lot of your time talking to investors. Do they believe in these challenges or is the bottom line still about shareholder returns? And, and how, you know, how do they actually think about it? Well, I think it's worth taking one step back for a moment and talking about who investors really are. And most people make a distinction, really, between asset owners and asset managers, if you like. And asset owners are ultimately people like you and me who might invest our savings uh, through through mutual funds or investment trusts and things like that, and indeed uh, have pensions which are invested on our behalf by pension funds. And then there are investment managers who might who, who might manage mutual funds or they could be private equity funds or organisations like that who actually implement the investment policies and put together portfolios for investors. And ultimately, um, ultimately, the pressure has to come from the asset owners, because they're the ones who choose the investment managers to actually implement these policies. And so at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, whether the asset owners, ultimately, you and me, care about this. And I think that this is quite complicated, because sometimes it, it's, it's tempting to think, oh, well, it's somebody else's problem. Uh, I wish Company X would uh, would implement different policies or I don't like the way that Company Y treats its employees or doesn't pay taxes or things like that. But actually, there's it's often a two-edged sword because you may be benefiting through your pension fund investing in that company who is pursuing you know, shareholder returns more than anything else. And so I think it's actually quite complicated for these asset owners to amend their policies to take account of these sorts of broader objectives of of their ultimate owners, i.e. you and I. And so I think it does ultimately come down to whether uh, whether the asset owners are um, prepared to uh, make those sorts of trade-offs which might exist between some of these objectives and, uh, and, the, and the very simple objective that always used to be there of shareholder returns. So how are investors already thinking of these issues? Then? Well, I think that there are various ways, but, but probably the most um, significant one that we see internationally is the, um, is the adoption of the UN Principles of Responsible Investing, which has now been adopted by close to 2,500 uh, asset owners and uh, asset managers, varying from the largest sovereign wealth funds, uh, big pension funds on the asset owner side through to uh, most of the uh, most of the best known investment managers who actually manage the assets on behalf of the uh, of, of, of individuals. Are you, are you able to highlight what those principles are? Sure. I mean, there's 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 six main areas, but I, I won't go through all of them. But at a high level, it's uh, what one of the um, statements that people have to sign up to is we will incorporate environmental, social and governance issues into investment analysis and, and decision making processes. And they will, for the asset managers, that they will seek appropriate disclosure on ESG issues by the entities in which we invest. In other words, they are going to do far more due diligence on companies that they invest in. So if you sign up to this, you have to essentially do more due diligence on where you put your money. But saying, saying it's sign up, that still suggests it's voluntary. It so, is voluntary. Yeah, it yeah. is voluntary. But the when you have trillions of dollars now you know, following these principles, 
companies have got to make some hard decisions about whether they simply say, well, you know, you want to know about all these other things about my business, you know, what my, what my, uh, you know, carbon footprint is or, or, or what my, you know, how we're making sure that we avoid uh, in our supply chain, charred labor or things like that. And they can say, well, I'm not interested. You know, I, you sent me a due diligence questionnaire, sort of go to hell. Um, but they will start seeing that their investor base shrinks. And so I think there's a lot of power in these voluntary codes when they're backed by real money. And they are backed by real money because some of the very largest investors in the world have signed up to it. Now, the real question becomes sort of what sort of data can they actually get from companies? What is it reasonable to ask for? Uh, because a lot of these things are not so easily available as things like shareholder returns. You know, we can all go to a screen and see what a, how a company's done in the last quarter. But a lot of these other um, factors that we're looking at, which aren't just financial, are actually quite complicated to A, define and B, measure and C, verify. So you mentioned trade-offs um, just before. How, how are corporates actually going to deal with those those challenges of those trade-offs? Well, I think that's a that's a, a major issue because, you know, in 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 the ideal circumstance, there is no trade-off. So the one, you know, if you can find something which is good for the long-term profitability of the business, uh, it might cost you a bit in the short term. You know, in implementing perhaps a more ethical supply chain or something like that might cost you a bit in the short term in cash, but you find that um, consumers are more prepared to pay for it. So they think they feel good about buying your product because you've made that investment. That is potentially long-term profit maximizing. And in those situations, there really isn't an issue. That isn't a trade-off. That's only a short versus long-run trade-off. And I think most investors are perfectly happy with the idea of saying, you know, we, we're going to invest in companies which have a long-term sustainable business. The real problem comes where there, where there potentially are trade-offs uh, in profitability, where you can make choices which are going to cost you money. And then that becomes quite complicated for corporates to, to, um, to make those judgments. And indeed, it, it's quite complicated for the investors to articulate what they want the, what they want the firms to actually do. I mean, put it, to put a specific example, you're managing a pension scheme for, for public sector workers. It's in a huge deficit. It needs additional contributions or something like that. You really care about returns because returns are the only way that you're going to actually uh, close that deficit and pay the pensions of the future. Or indeed, if you individually are investing for your own pension fund, you're faced with that trade-off. And so I think very often the investors can't themselves articulate necessarily what the how the companies should make those trade-offs. I think it goes back to the corporates to articulate it and convince the investors that they are acting in a reasonable way. And I think it, it is made even more complicated by what, you know, coming back to what you're saying, Tim, around there isn't a framework in place at the moment to ensure that there is a consistent measurement of these things across companies. So an investor is sitting there. There isn't a sort of a measurable framework. There isn't data that is consistently available across firms over time for firms. And how does an investor actually uh, reassure itself that this is going in the right direction? The performance is, is, is going in the right direction. Each one of these forms of capital, uh, how are these investments actually going to generate long-term sustainable business models? And actually, they are not 
compromising financial returns in the long run? These are really difficult are. questions in, in the absence of, a, of, a, of a, a framework that allows us to be more objective around these questions. Yeah. I think what is indisputable is the, the metrics which are going to be generated about companies are going to multiply. Um, in the past, it used to be simple financial accounting metrics and, and market metrics like, you know, earnings per share or, or profitability or shareholder returns or things like that. And those are what corporates are, you know, have been used to for, for many, many years in terms of generating those. But, the, but the, the number and the variety of metrics against which they're going to be judged is going to multiply. And uh, that's one thing that is, is, I think, indisputable. What is more difficult to judge is how that data is ultimately going to be uh, interpreted by investors and whether, in and whether investors will interpret things in, in very different ways. And, you know, that's partly because there's a, it's actually unclear, you know, what preferences the ultimate owners of these assets are going to put on 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 their investment managers, their asset owners. I, I mean, to give you an example, if in that there are, you know, the, the there are some people who believe that you know all companies should be carbon neutral or, or the like, and I'm, I'm and I think that that is a valid point of view. But if you if you said to a company, you know, you know, you we, we will not invest in you unless you are carbon neutral. That would be a huge. That would reduce the investment universe hugely for corporates. Uh, for, for, for the investors themselves, and that they might see the effect in a much less diversified portfolio, maybe lower returns than they would otherwise. So I think there's sometimes this narrative that there are no trade-offs. And I, and, and I think that the reality is, is that some things there aren't trade-offs, but a lot of things there are. And it becomes more difficult to hold management to account when you have multiple objectives. I suppose my personal view on this matter, um, and it's not a, an auxiliary view because, Tim, you are also a partner at Auxiliary. I think there is actually no choice for investors on this. I, I think this really is a trend that needs to stay for the long run. And the, just the fact that it is difficult to, to measure these things, it is difficult to work out the trade-offs. In my view, it's not really an excuse. The, the way for corporations to build trust in society is through demonstrating that they really are looking at as a broader set of, of, of objectives. But I do perfectly, uh, I, and I, I do agree with your point, Tim, that this is, this is really complicated and, and there is a real risk that this sort of lack of integrity, verifiability of the data, whatever, causes a real disruption in, in what is, a, a, in my view, a, a really kind of good idea, <laughs> that, yeah. but that it, it risks being disrupted. And, and that is, you know, we know with ESG where all these reports, <laughs> you know, uh, what they ended up being is just essentially paper that is used, not, not so much embedded in, in organizations. Yeah. And I think that the, my, my point about there being much more data in the future about companies means that I think that this will go beyond, if, as it were, first generation box ticking to something which is far more real time, which is observed through all sorts of different, you know, media, through observation, through websites, through, through, through people reporting, maybe themselves, you know, activists, sort of activists reporting on companies, and that this is something that corporates have got to be, um, you know, very aware of. I think that the, the, the ultimate issue comes down to, does it lead to a problem of accountability and is it even 
you know, is it even clear at times, you know, what boards should do in certain circumstances when they're faced with a fundamental trade-off? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, corporates aren't any use unless they're profitable. If they go out of business, that is ultimately uh, not good for anybody, arguably. Well let's, well, let's come to that because how are boardrooms dealing with these changes, uh, Luis, in terms of those pressures? You know, is there an argument that they need to be incentivized to deliver those commitments or it shouldn't even be a requirement to do that, should it? Well, I'll come back to that second part of your question in a, in a moment. The, the, the first part of your question is how are boardrooms dealing with this? Um, I mean, uh, our experience and, and perhaps a, an optimistic view is that actually there has been a lot of uh, very good progress in, in the corporate world around trying to articulate this purpose, what those broader objectives are, what this means for uh, certain sales practices, what it means for the product uh, differentiation of firms. We've seen some some good progress in that. Um, however, and, and, and if, I, if I just, for example, take banks, banks in Europe, I see, you know, there's a lot more effort now by banks articulating what sustainability means. What are they doing for long-term sustainability, you know, climate change and all that, uh, quantifying what, what the benefits are of what their actions are. That you, you see that in much more sophisticated than, than maybe five, ten years ago. I think the question is how well these ideas are embedded within an organization. So it's all very good for a, a board to have these, these ideas, these, these broader objectives, but are at the level of business lines, are these things really affecting behavior of, of people who are running those business lines. So is it really embedded within an organization? Is it really being monitored in a consistent way within the organization? And that, that's where all the difficulties kind of emerge, not just as a, not, not at the level of articulating the purpose and the broader objectives. There is one sector where I see a, a good, a good uh, progress being made uh, more than others, in, and it's the water sector. And, and of course, it is easier to think about the water sector because they need to think about natural capital, they need to f think about physical capital, and, and what they do for local communities. But there's a lot of of that of, of those principles embedded within uh, business lines, within remuneration of managers, and actually, oftentimes, the remuneration of of the the managers only a small. Portion of it is down to financial performance of, of companies. It's it's mostly about sustainability, uh, broader definition of, of purpose than than just shareholder value. The second part of your question was: Do these ideas need to be incentivized at a corporate level? I think I think we need to be careful about that. I, I think w the ideal would be that investors see and, and go back to what Tim was saying at the beginning. You know. Asset owners. This is an agenda for asset owners, In, and and if if it is not an agenda for asset owners to rely on policymakers, regulators to impose behaviours on firms, I think there could be all sorts of unintended consequences that we could all suffer from, and and therefore the ideal would be to make sure that this is sort of really. There are ways in which this can be embedded in organizations. Investors understand the progress that firms are making in these wider objectives. How we look at these trade-offs, the way Tim was talking about earlier, um, financial performance versus some of these other objectives. And it may require at times in certain sectors that 
maybe regulate and it's a nudge, <laughs> needs to nudge corporations to go down to sort of form a bit more form of a formalization of these. It may require, but not in all sectors, only maybe in, in some sectors where maybe the externalities, negative or positive externalities of what a firm does, that is, it's not just between the firm and its consumers, it's also that the, the firm's actions affect wider parts of society. That's what I mean by externalities. So in sectors where those externalities exist and they are profound, there may need to be intervention by a regulator or, or, or public authorities uh, to nudge companies to go down, uh, boards to go down these sort of uh, wider objectives. Surely it's any sector, though. It's not just external factors that we're focusing on because you know there could be internal factors in terms of uh, impact on on staff, um, you know, or or environmental issues around you know how much paper they're um, using or you know we're based you know we're recording this in the city you walk around the city at night and you'll see so many uh, lights still you know left on all these things have an impact I agree and and one would hope that companies see that the way they can build sustainable business models in the long run is through having trust from from consumers, from trust from employees. And therefore, those actions will be things that boards will see as inherently positive for their uh, long-term sustainability and not requiring uh, regulators or public authorities to, to come down on, on them. Uh, so one would hope that these are actually aligned objectives uh, for boards and communities and 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 employees and 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 customers i mean i think i think it's always very tempting to think that we need more regulation uh, that the solution to everything is regulation but i think there is a case to be made here that when you have as i say several trillion dollars of capital who are who are saying we only want to invest in companies who who act in a certain you know, ethical way, which, which which takes account of these sorts of environmental, social and governance issues. And you have a, an increasingly vocal consumer base who are also ultimately the asset owners through their pension schemes and the like, but they're very diverse there. And so that's why the, the pension scheme is a way of sort of collectively expressing their views. But you've got individuals as consumers and you've got the their pension schemes and their asset managers who are managing their money for them saying this is important. Then... I think that may be enough. I think that that may be enough pressure. I think, interestingly, one of the one of the the things that I think will become more of a more of an issue is how you deal with companies who are competing against organisations somewhere else on the planet who don't have these views, who are simply undercutting, who simply don't have those standards, and. Um, especially in the context of things like Brexit, where, you know, at the moment, in some ways, the European Union puts up some barriers against the against uh, outside companies. On Sometimes it could be on, on environmental grounds and the like. What will our attitude be? Because uh, at the end of the day, you can have very well operate, you can have a good system within a country or within a set of investors or within which doesn't just have to be within a particular country but an international acceptance but then you have another group of companies who might actually just be um, going for the lowest cost lowest standard sort of approach and do we need more you know will will there be more sort of active protectionism against these sorts of companies i think that's more interesting to me than whether we need another governance code tim you mentioned 
consumers just just then? I mean, ultimately, are they the ones that are going to have to pay for all this? In most circumstances, yes. Uh, I think it's very tempting to think that all these problems are problems that corporates face. Uh, and they are the ones who have to solve the problems. But the people who ultimately define the trade-offs, if there are trade-offs, and say the right level of uh, standards that you're going to try to aim for within a within a corporation have to ultimately be the consumers in two ways via their purchases of goods and which goods they want to purchase and what companies they want to buy from and also through their ownership of financial assets and the latter is a little bit more mediated through their pension schemes and their asset managers but ultimately they're the ones who are going to choose the way that their money's invested and 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 I, I entirely agree with with what Tim is saying, and it is is going to call for corporations to actually have a level of engagement with customers that is very different from from the past, because they will have to get the buy-in from if they're going to make these investments in this and that, and customers are paying for it. Customers need to understand the benefits of this, so that that engagement with them and 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 the understanding of what is being achieved in the long run, why it is beneficial also for customers, is is going to be absolutely critical. So, engagement, more much more than in the past. Okay, let, let's look at this new way of thinking and, and what it means for business. Both, I mean, you meant, you talked about long term a little earlier, Luis. What, what what does it mean for business in in both the long term but also the short term? I, I think in the in the in the in the long term, as, as, as I said earlier, this is about showing that these actions, in a sense, in the long run, there are not no trade-offs. You know, this can only work if there are making these contributions to local communities to address inequality in society to maintain natural capital, uh, the, the resources we will need for the future, that will be the way to ensure that financial returns will be maintained and, and improved uh, over the long run. It improves trust, it improves uh, the performance of a firm. In the long run, that's, that's that, you know, one would hope that there, is, that there are no trade-offs. I think the, the issue is, and to come back to what uh, Tim uh, and, and I were saying earlier, is in the short run, during periods of macroeconomic uncertainty, when, when some of these investments will affect distributions to shareholders, when some of these investments in these wider objectives will affect the financial resilience of a firm, in the short run, there can be some real tensions here. And we need to make sure that the asset owners and the boards are aligned in these, in, in these objectives. And, 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 and that engagement with stakeholders is based on uh, verified information, objective information, which in, allows for a debate between stakeholders, um, uh, boards, uh, investors, that, that is a, an informed discussion around where these short-term trade-offs are. So that, that's, um, that's kind of uh, really important and a big takeaway from all of these, uh, all these developments. I think that the thing that boards have got to get used to the idea of is that they are going to be man managed and judged against multiple metrics and that this is going to become much more complicated being a manager of a company um, because there's going to be a lot more due diligence done about your 
uh, performance, and that's not just financial performance, but other other forms. And I think that the the key thing is is that that you know this is potentially value adding because if the if the employees want it, the, the the your customers want it, and they all want to know the story about when they're buying your shirt. You know, what does that mean? It's no longer just a shirt. It's like where did it come from? You know, what what's it used up? Is it you know all those sorts of things? People are becoming much more much more sensitized to and the over time this will become mainstream at the moment i would say it's becoming mainstream but it's but there's also a lot of people who will still at the consumer level and indeed at the asset owning level who actually really just care about getting things cheap and making the highest returns but i think over time that is going to shift quite a lot and all businesses will have to get used to being accountable on multiple levels, not just financial. How are corporates actually effectively going to measure the costs and benefits of a sustainable business model? Well, I, I think we are at the very early stages of that. You know, the, the work uh, we've been doing, it requires a lot more thinking. Um, there are various methodologies. There's various th- ways of doing these. There are people who use KPIs, um, key performance indicators, and some valuation measures of... Uh, the contribution they make to um, different forms of capital. There, there, there are calls by some commentators, you know, like Colin Mayer at the Side Business School, a colleague of, of Tim Jenkinson, who talks about the way this could be measured by looking at financial statements, so actually reinstating the financial statements to incorporate some of the investments that are made in these forms of capital. There are other forms of uh, looking at this, which is to to kind of, look at rewards and penalties. So imagine a a company that is not achieving certain indicators uh, in relation to social capital or human capital. There could be kind of penalties uh, that would lead to customers um, seeing price reductions. And this is is more akin to some of the utility sector uh, where some of these ideas are, are already in place. So but we are talking, this is at an infancy level. This is, we really are a stage where these are sort of ideas emerging. But it's really important we get these ideas uh, clarified and, and what data is required, etc. Because otherwise, we risk losing accountability, as Tim was, was mentioning earlier. I think we are at a very early stage. I mean, if you as an individual wanted to go and say, okay, I want to invest my self-invested personal pension in a in a set of companies that I feel good about, uh, please give me a low-cost way of doing that. If you look on most investment platforms, you'll find almost no opportunity to do that. And most of us still invest in broad indexes, and that's the way that, company, that, that these things are going, which is essentially pushing the problem down the line to the... To, to the big index providers who are sort of or index managers who are, who are managing these products. And I think that over time, we will see a lot more sort of cheap ways to get diversified portfolios of companies who maybe satisfy some of these other criteria, which aren't just financial criteria. Has it got harder for investors? I think it has got harder because in the old days it was it was simple that you just try to maximize returns and you judge yourself against that and and it's not even clear that investors have fully thought through what their own investment principles should be because in the old days it was all about risk and return you know try to maximize return for a, for a given for an acceptable level of risk and now this isn't to say that 
you know, all of these things have trade-offs, but when they do have trade-offs, either on diversification, you know, because if you're not if you're not investing in, let's say, carbon using or carbon uh, uh, rich companies, which are sort of, you know, uh, uh, oil companies and the like, you, know, you will have a different return distribution than you would if you didn't have those things. So it's not always about returns, but it could be about risk. And that's actually those decisions about whether to limit the investment universe that you're prepared to invest in are ones which are pretty hard for um, your average pension fund to deal with. And they do face this problem that, you know, on the one hand, you want to have, you want to pay the pensions, and if and, and, but also you want to be able to, um, you know, you, you, your own beneficiaries are sort of saying, well, we don't necessarily want you to be investing in these type of companies. And, and so I think it is difficult for investors these days to rethink what their investment principles should be. Okay, well, we need to, uh, to wrap this up. So final thoughts from uh, both of you on this topic, Tim, let's, let's come to you first. Well, I think the sort of weight of opinion and the, and the sort of the pressures to, to embed some of these ideas about sustainable business practices into uh, companies uh, from the investor side is one of those things which is gaining more and more momentum. And that will continue irrespective of what any particular government uh, requires business to do. And so I think that it's uh, the, the, no company can ignore the weight of the money that's now asking these questions and wanting more due diligence on the way companies behave. Great. And Luis? Uh, and just to pick up there on what Tim is saying, and just the fact that it is difficult and it's hard to measure these things, that is not an excuse because the way to trust uh, for corporations is to go down this, this route, the way for uh, asset owners to ensure in the long run these businesses are going to be performing and be sustainable is indeed through taking a broader uh, set of objectives. And just because it is hard does not mean we should not do it. <laughs> And, and there is a role for public, maybe authorities or international organizations to bring some, some ideas uh, to the table about how some of these things can be done and, and, and stimulate the debate and, and, and more consistency across countries and more consistency across sectors. Well, thanks, uh, Luis, and thanks again to Professor Tim Jenkinson for joining us on this episode of Beyond the Bottom Line. Uh, Oxera would love to hear your thoughts on this topic, so if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on their agenda website by visiting oxera.com slash latest dash agenda, or you can comment on their LinkedIn and Twitter feeds where they will be posting this podcast. Uh, we'd also love for you to subscribe to the show, which you can do on all podcast platforms, and if you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, finally, if you would like to get in touch with Oxera about the Agenda campaign, then you can do that by emailing agenda at oxera.com. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.